0: Okay, so we're doing the road trip show today again, and we I moved over to another platform called uh, Big George Digital, and uh, yeah, me and Jake uh, always do the road trip show, and of course we've got another podcast series that we started, um, Valid Perspectives, so you can go look for that as well, and uh, Didrik is going to talk to us about the four today. And uh, he says it's going to be a quite interesting one. So, Dietrich, I give it over to you. Yeah, how's it, going? Uh, well, different platform doesn't make a lot of difference because this is still going to stay no. as a podcast. But I think yes. it's going to be interesting to see what happens with our recordings and stuff. And I think we might even wind up as a YouTube video at some stage. Let's see how it how it all progresses. But we've, yeah. sort of been doing, we've been doing the highways and byways, and we've sort of been doing the N1, N2, N3, et etc. et cetera. But uh, I thought today we'd start tackling the N4. Now, the N4, mostly for, by most people, is known as the highway from Johannesburg through to Kamati Puert on, Mos- on the Mozambique border. But it also goes off down to the west all the way through to the Botswana border, past Rustenburg, all the way through to the Skilpatshek border post. And it's an interesting road because it covers so much of South African history and it covers such a lot of varied landscapes and it touches on all sorts of bits and pieces of um, where we come from as a nation. And when I was doing the notes for this one, I figured, well, I'm going to start, I'm going to start at Put, just, just for the hell of it, just to be difficult. And you know, as I, <laughs> as I, as, <laughs> and as I was going through it, it sort of struck me when you said sort i of going a, Maybe a little bit, a little bit backwards through history, but, uh, but so be it. That's just the way it's going to work. It's just the way it's going to work today. Yeah. So if we start off at the Gamati Port border post, I mean, you're 60, 50, 60 Ks away from old Lorenzo Marks, Maputo. And Maputo's got a couple of spots. I mean, it's not called the N4. Um, well, I think it actually is. I think the Mozambicans have just adopted it and made it the, end, the Mozambican N4, But I'm not sure that that counts as a South African part of the highway. There's one or two sort of South African-related spots in 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 Maputo as well, because that was the end part of um, the Trichard trek. And there's an interesting oh, little, yes. there's an interesting little um, Louis Trichard memorial in Maputo. And it's actually very very nice, he done a nice little paved area, with a nice little mosaic and a little frieze on the back there to commemorate Louis Trichardt and the guys who actually arrived in what was then Lorenzo Marx in 1838. And uh, it's commemorated in the Fortrecker Monument as well because that whole lot of them died of malaria. And he's, yes. actually, buried, he's actually buried there in, in Maputo. So there's a bit of a South African link um, in Mozambique with that one but it's actually a, it's, a, it's a lovely road mozambique's very low lying very sort of kind of marshy you go into the grasslands and stuff and as you get up to kamati port you start start getting a little bit of a little bit of altitude but the most interesting spot once you through the kamati port border post it's not quite on the road but it's kind of isolated all on its own down towards the area of swaziland or eswatini and that's the um, the samora Michelle monument now, I don't know if you remember Samora Michelle, the president of Mozambique. He was the guy oh, yes. that took Mozambique into independence. And he died in a plane crash just on the South African side of the border in uh, 1986, in October 1986. And it was huge uproar and very controversial. And the answers have never come out to this day. He was in a very, very old Russian airplane, an old Tupolev, a Tupolev Tu-134. And there were all sorts of allegations that South African special forces did a decoy beacon in there and put little uh, pretended that that was the airport instead of the Maputo airport and all the rest of it. <laughs> and uh, it's never been proven, um, and the stories have never really come out. And the South African side of the story was, well, look, it's an ancient aeroplane. I mean, that aeroplane still had little radio sets with you know the valves, the little valves that had to warm up. Oh yes, an ancient, ancient aeroplane, but this was the presidential jet of, of 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 the Mozambican president. But anyway, he crashed in the mountains just outside of port. So there's a memorial and a museum actually at that site, and it's kind of interesting to to go and have a look at there's bits and pieces of the aeroplane and stuff there on display. No. Oh, okay, it's in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, well, I mean, it killed him and his entourage, it killed all the pilots, and yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, look, the president of a country dying in a plane crash in a foreign country is never a good thing. Yeah, there's, a, there's bound to be all sorts of weird and wonderful stories and things that come out of that. Yeah, but you're coming through an interesting area there, and on the N4, you're skirting just around the southern side of Kruger, and you know, it's like this little corridor between Eswatini. And Kruger. And as you come through to the towns of, of Malalana, Matsulu, you're just about to hit uh, Nelspraetor. or um, Bombella, as it's called now, beautiful, beautiful, fertile area. Lots of mango trees and papayas and leeches and bananas. And, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. It's the Valley of the Crocodile River. Just an interesting aside is that uh, that land is actually under land claim from Swaziland. It's the Swazi, Swazis are claiming that it's part of Swaziland. And uh, yes. <laughs> when, at the end of the Anglo-Boer War, when the British took over and were administering everything, they redrew a lot of the borders and they drew Swaziland slightly smaller than it was supposed to be. And uh, they sort of put the good bits in South Africa. <laughs> so, so Swazis, <laughs> the Swazis are kind of claiming a lot of them. A lot of the people, they are ethnic Swazis. They speak Swazi. They're ethnically the Swazis. And but yeah. they're now living in South Africa in the beautiful fertile valley. Swaziland is claiming it. I don't know, I don't think South Africa is taking it too seriously. But uh, you know, you're looking at little towns <laughs> like Skumans Malalan that apparently should be in Swaziland. But uh, like I said, I'm not sure that they're, they're taking it too seriously there. Yeah. I, I don't think that's going to become part of, part of Eswatini. But you are cruising just past the southern area of the Kruger Park. And there's a couple of interesting little spots in there. Because remember, Kruger, Kruger itself was only really consolidated after the Anglo-World Wars. He are me early 1900s. And in the 1800s, that was open land. And a lot of the yeah. roads from the old mining towns, from Kraskop and from Pilgrim's Rest and from Leidenberg actually came down through Kruger. Down towards Kamadi Puert. So there's a couple of nice historical sites in Kruger. I mean, one of the old stores, um, Alf Roberts' store. He's a guy, a trader there, just inside the southern border of Kruger, a little place called Tenga Manzi. You know, sort so of Tenga Manzi means buy, buying at the water. Tenga is to buy, and Manzi is water. Okay. In, in there <laughs> in the 1880s. And there's another interesting bit there um, General Benful Yun. Now, Ben Yun was one of the Boer War generals that operated in, the, in that old eastern Transvaal area. And um, he commanded a crowd called the Krugersdorp Volunteer Corps. And there's a little spot in, in, in the southern Kruger there where he actually spiked his guns because he was fighting a guy there or he was, one of his jobs was to um, stop a British force under the command of a guy by the name of General Paul Carew. But Paul Carew never managed, yeah. never managed to capture Ben Fulion. And eventually Ben Fulion, um after the war, he decided he, this, the South Africa thing under, under the British wasn't for him. And he actually went to the USA, and a little piece of South Africa now is buried in a spot in New Mexico. He died in 1917 in New Mexico in the USA. And that little spot's actually on the app. It's one of our international spots. You know, I mean the side okay. of the World War General is buried in buried in in the US, which is kind of kind of kind of a little bit different. But yeah. you know, those little spots just tie in that whole Kruger history down on, onto onto the N4. Then of course, you know, the Bombella or the old Nelsprite. Now from the old brothers Nell, who started the the fruit farming down that part of the world. Obviously, massive, massive citrus fruit areas down there. But there's a couple of little spots you can visit in Nelsprate. One of the, there's a, there's a sand rock art spot just on, on the southern side of town. And the sand, we've touched on the sand a couple of times. You know, little hunter-gatherers who sort of got displaced by absolutely everybody when the yeah. when the Nguni tribes arrived in the 15 or 1600s, whenever it was, they started displacing the sand, and the sand eventually, slowly but surely, started moving further and further into the mountains. And the last, their last strongholds were like right down in the in the Drakensberg area. But they left behind beautiful rock art everywhere, and one of the more accessible rock art sites is there, just um, in the southern side of Mbombela. We also got okay. the Low, Felt, Low Felt National Botanical Gardens, which one of our National Botanical Gardens is situated in Mbombela. Beautiful spot. Beautiful little waterfalls. A lot of the locals use it for picnics and for you know afternoon walks and things like that. There's another interesting little spot in there because there's a Nelson Mandela statue that was put up there in 2018. And I don't know if you've seen it, but on social media at the moment. There's a couple of things floating around about some horrendous statues that have been put up somewhere in Boxburg or Boxburg or Bononi or something. And it's a statue okay. of Winnie Mandela and it's a statue of, I think, Oliver Tambo. And I mean, they, they, they look like caricatures, they look like cartoon versions of these, of these two people. But apparently, the art made okay. millions of rands to do these things. And there's a statue in Mbombella that is supposedly Nelson Mandela, but looks nothing like him. But um, yeah, the cost was was eight point five million rand for the statue, and uh, now, now if you work that one out, nine hundred and fifty thousand rand went to the sculptor. So where the balance went to, no one really knows. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Into someone's pocket somewhere. So, so <laughs> there's there's one of those. But when you come out, when you come out of Umbumbela, I mean, again, the, the countryside is absolutely stunning. One of the old, one of the um, soccer World Cup stadiums, uh, stadiums is just outside of town now. As you, as you're coming out of there, but as you, as you now coming out, you're heading out through little Alakamar up on your right hand side. You have got the Sudwala caves. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting spot. You've got the little Sudwala Dinosaur Park there where they recreated some of the old dinosaurs. It's an interesting tour. You go for a tour in, in the cave. The Kruger Millions, reputedly, it was one of the spots where people went to go hunt for the Kruger Millions. We'll touch on the Kruger Millions a little bit later on. Oh, yeah. Because this whole area is infused with Kruger and the Boer War and a couple of those legends. Yeah, but Sudwala Caves is just off the road and that's definitely a worthwhile stop there. But then you also go past on the just just, just uh, off off the highway and you're going past Ngodwana and Ngodwana is that infamous spot with that really stinky factory, which is a paper mill, and oh, yeah. uh, that's always the spot you can smell it about thirty kilometers before you get to it, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and just just off the highway there you've got um, Kapsohoop, and Kapsohoop was one of the very very earliest little towns that was established, and uh, there were hopes that it was going to become one of the major towns. And they were thinking of um, putting up like the, the, the stock exchange and stuff there. I mean, that was already established in 1882 when some gold was discovered there. But um, unfortunately, a couple of years later or very close to then, gold was discovered in Barberton. And Barberton's just down the road, basically. And it was a much bigger gold strike. So all the activity moved down to Bar- to Barberton Carps and Cops of Whoop. Was kind of forgot yes. about, and it's believed that Karoo was also one of the spots where Paul Kruger hid out for a little while. Because again, we'll we'll come across to the Battle of Dahl a little bit later. But when the British occupied Pretoria, Paul Kruger had to flee, and he came down in his train, and he stopped at a couple of these spots on his way to Lorenzo Marks, because the Dutch Queen was the only one who decided to help him and sent a a boat to come get him at the at the harbour in the Marx and offer safe yeah. passage. But he obviously had to stop a couple of spots, and Kapuzo was one of those spots where Paul Kruger actually um, overnighted or spent spent a, a couple of days there on his journey to the Rhenzemarks and, event, and eventual um, exile. Yes, and as you as you're now coming up up the M4, you know so sort get you're getting to the escarpment area. And the first place that you hit there is a little spot called Krugelhof in a town called Waterfall Waterfallonder. Now, you got a oh, Waterfall Waterfallonder okay. and you've got a Waterfallboven. So you <laughs> yes. the bottom of the waterfall and the top of the waterfall. I mean, they're not exactly the original, yeah. uh, original town names. But those two little towns were established specifically for the railway line. The railway line had come out of Pretoria, and it was, it was Paul Kruger's railway line that he was trying to get some economic independence for the old Transvaal Republic and not have his trains and all the gold and everything else traveling through um, the Cape Colony or down to, to, to Natal, which were controlled by the British. He wanted to keep that out of the hands of the British. So one yeah. of his projects and one of his one of his biggest projects that actually succeeded was the railway line to Lorenzo Marx. Okay. And coming down the escarpment was obviously one heck of a job for these trains. And we now got three little towns. You've got Machado Dorp, you've got Váterval Boven and Váterval Onder. Machado Dorp is actually named after Joachim Machado, a Portuguese character who was the surveyor for the railway line. That's where the name Machado comes from. But Váterval Boven oh, okay. and Váterval Onder were established because there's a beautiful tunnel there. There's the old um, NZA, NZASM tunnel. And it's an interesting spot because... Special locomotives were parked at Wartofallbwerfen and Honor because it's the only, as far as I know, the only rack and pinion railway in South Africa. Now, a rack and pinion railway is the special locomotives that have got this little toothed cog underneath because, um, yeah. the, because the, the, the hill is so steep that the steel wheels get, haven't got traction. Yes. Uh, so this 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 loco has got this this cog underneath it that engages on like a a ratchet on the in the middle of the railway line. Oh, and genius. this thing actually winds itself up up the hill. It's like it's like a yeah. a little sprocket on a, on a, on a bicycle. Almost yes, that, yes. that kind of makes sense. And then on the railway line is this little little track with all these all these slots in it that the, that the cog can engage. And you can get out at the bottom of the tunnel and have a look. And there's one or two pieces of the old ratchet line still there. You can walk through the tunnel. If you go to the view site, there's a beautiful view over the Elans River. And for the bird watchers, it's worth going because it's one of the only breeding spots of a bird called the bald ibis in South Africa. Very, very endangered, very, very rare kind of bird there. But, you know, so that area, you've got Krugerhof down at the bottom there. In for Honor is one of the one of the spots where President Kruger stayed. There's a little, there's a little museum there as well. Actually worthwhile stopping there. Very interesting little museum with um and an interesting object in in that museum is the last Transvaal Feedklier, the old Transvaal flag with the red, white oh, yes. blue, and the green. Um and i f- I forget exactly what the name is, but the green bar next to the flagpole. And uh it was actually flown at that house, and it's the last time the Transvaal Feedier actually flew, and that flag is in that little museum. So there's a little spot there that that's that's called um Krugerhof. Krugerhof. Just there as well is an is an old bridge. And at the time, it was uh, an architectural marvel. It's called the Five Arch Bridge. Dates back to 1894, and it was uh, one of the bridges specifically built for the railway line. And that that bridge is still still standing, and as far as I know, it's actually still in use as well. Oh wow! So uh, actually, actually, a pretty pretty cool little little little, little bridge there so then you've got the bridge you've got the tunnel you got the you can walk through that tunnel it's really really worth worth going going through but then as you as you go up that up that um that pass you've got the little town of waterfall of boven on on your left hand side now there's an interesting grave in there a guy by the name of yakubas malan is buried there and He's the son of a guy by the name of Hercules Malan, who was one of the men that was killed along with Petra Tief by by Dingan. so the son of one of the original four trackers actually is um, is buried there. And later in life he became a, a member of the Falks Route and he, he served with with Thomas with President President Burgers. And he was part of the commission that went to Swaziland to negotiate with the Swazi king by the name of Bondin to actually try and get bits and pieces of the old of Swaziland and to buy land for the original settlements of the four trekkers. So that, that's one of the and another interesting spot there. And it's a kind of a kind of a um, bit of a controversial one. And it's interesting because no one's denying the existence of this thing, but it's a thing called the, the, the Adams calendar. Oh yes. I've heard of it. And I mean, the guy, the guy who, who found this thing is a guy by the name of Michael, Michael Tellinger. And he's written a book about this. And it's undoubtedly that there were stone settlements or stone age settlements there. If you get, if you look at the aerial photographs, you can see big circles of what were undoubtedly settlements and, Some kind of agricultural activity, and you know there was definitely a lot of stuff happening there. But yeah, he he comes along and towards the end of his book, he's got all sorts of celestial charts, and he tries to line them up with the Aztec pyramids in South America, and he lines them up with the pyramid of Giza and in Egypt, and all sorts of weird stuff. And that's he's treading on kind of dubious ground there. (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah. largely by the sort of largely those, those theories have largely being debunked um by the main mainstream historians it is however obviously yeah. interesting to go and have a look at and to stand there and it's a, kind of a little bit you know you stand in these little circles and you look at this and you try and imagine these these thousands of people um in In these little villages and in these little settlements and stuff around there, and today all that remains is these old stone circles and things but yes. from what I understand, there's obviously still an awful lot of investigation going on about the archaeology and the history because we 're not actually too sure exactly who was there yes, so uh, so yeah and you we've also got a little spot there called the um wurfen train disaster. Now, that's something that's kind of largely been forgotten by history. And I, I it was a mission to go and find this place because I'd, I'd heard about it and I knew there was a, a, a memorial kind of spot there. And when you drive into wartofop there's a, one or two little dusty signs that go, ah, disaster or train disaster. And then eventually you, you, you're bumping down this little with a very high middle moniki. and you're kind of wondering oh, yeah. whether you're in the right spot or not. <laughs> but eventually you do. You come to the little sort of lookout over the over the river, and there's this little stone memorial, little stone memorial and plaque. And uh, in November 1949, a, trans, a, a train transporting workers from the Vatavasround back to Mozambique actually derailed on that corner. And uh, sixty-three people were killed. Sure. and uh, yeah. So it was obviously, you know, the, the the mines up in Johannesburg were hugely dependent on migrant labour and people from Mozambique, from Zimbabwe, or from Rhodesia, Mozambique, Swaziland, and and and. And unfortunately, that one's there. But I mean, it, it is it is commemorated by this little stone memorial it's actually a very very nice little memorial It's was pretty well kept but it's just kind of a mission to actually get there yeah <laughs> but it's one of those <laughs> one of those little spots that seems to have been forgiven um, completely forgotten but uh, yeah. then as you come up around over the plateau and it's you go through the toll plaza it's kind of kind of kind of evens out a little bit you know i sort of on the on the highlands your next little town there is actually Mashada Dorp. It's now called Ntokozweni. And just of note, there's not there's not much actually in, in that town, except of course that there's a beautiful um church. Again, one of Gerard Murdek. I keep on mentioning this. Guy. Oh, yes. Yeah. He's got here, there's a beautiful church there in the town. The town itself is uh, a little bit dusty and forlorn and a little bit broken down and the city council town council there is not doing too much um too much good but that's a beautiful beautiful church there and i mean i think dates back already down back back to 1926 i think it is so and uh, gerard Murdek is always a pleasure having a look at his stuff and you know the area, the area that you're going through there now. I mean, when you, if you're following Paul Kruger's um, journeys, just just past Machado Dorp, you come up, and I don't know if you, and maybe some of the listeners will know about it. Just as you hit that long downhill. On the right-hand side, if you're coming from Johannesburg or now you're driving up on your left-hand side, there's this monument that looks almost like a bit of a rocket ship. Oh, yeah. And that's that commemorates the Battle of Bergen And the, the Bergen was actually the last set-piece or conventional battle of the Anglo-Boer War, of the Second Anglo-Boer War. It was fought in August 1900. And it was the last sort of rearguard action fought by the Boers trying to stop the British advance down into the eastern Transvaal and also to protect Kruger, to give Paul Kruger a chance to escape. And it was a massive battle. It was the last set-piece battle where the famous Long Tom guns were used in in, in battle. And it's, it's kind of a little, little bit ironic because one of the causes, the celebrities of the startup of the Anglo-World War was the so-called mishandling or the abuse of British citizens by the old South African Republic police. They were called the ZARPs, Z-A-R-P. Okay. And... At one stage, some guy got into a fight in a pub in Johannesburg, and I think the Zarps actually tackled this guy, and I think he—I actually think he died. And that was just at the time of all the tensions, the Jamison Raid had happened, you know, all of the stuff had been building up. And, of course, now the South African, the, the, the police go and, and beat up this one character. And he was drunk and disorderly in a pub, but, I mean, he was causing fights and stuff, so it wasn't completely undeserved, but I don't think he deserved to get killed. Yeah. That uh the last, very last set piece battle of the of the war, the Zarps were actually at that battle, and the large the larger proportion of the casualties of that battle were actually the Zarps. They took the brunt of the last set piece battle of the war. And I always yeah. I always consider that kind of kind of ironic. It's like they almost like they were one of the causes of it, and they were the guys that got blast. and blast. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, okay. But you know, that, that, that whole area sort of from we we're just around the little town of Belfast. Belfast is just up the road now. But from Belfast, right down, you're going down, 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 down the escarpment, and you're hitting the tunnel and you're now going down towards Kamadi Put. That's that's now where the legend of the Kruger millions comes in. And the legend, oh, okay. the legend, it has never been proven. And let's 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 make this very clear. It's never ever been proven. But the legend is that Paul Kruger left Pretoria on his train with the gold coins and the treasury of the old South African Republic. And people have come searching for what is called the Kruger Millions and they've been searching and searching and searching for these Kruger Millions because the legend is that when he got onto the boat in Lorenzo Marx, he didn't have it with him. Yes. So the theory then goes, well, he buried it somewhere en route. And it has to be close yeah. to the railway line because it's a whole chest full of gold coins. And people have done, I mean, you can go, when you if you go into the Sudwala Caves, you can actually see excavations in the Sudwala Caves where expeditions were financed and people came to dig up the floor of the caves believing that the Kruger Millions were there. Yeah. Now, no one's ever reported the find of the Kruger Millions, but you're going and... The story is that it's what's called the field pounds or the, the Kruger pounds or the field pounds. And the minting of these field pounds was actually done in Mashada Dorp at the time of the war. Okay. And although the legend is that there's this whole box of these things, they, the records state that only about 984 of these gold coins were ever struck. Okay. So it's not exactly a hell of a lot of them. 500 of them already been traced into private collections and unknown about. Just over 500. So there's probably yes, 500, 450 of these gold coins. Now, I mean, it's, it's a serious, it's a one ounce gold coin. It's a Kruger pound. I mean, it's, it's a lot of money. Yes. But is it millions? Uh No. So the Kruger pound is obviously worth a lot of money. You can Google it. You can have a look at it. I mean, they are occasionally available on the open market. There's 450 or 400 or 450 or 500 of these things that are actually still missing. Yes. Maybe there's a whole lot of them that are in jewelry. You know, a lot of people make the coins into pendants and necklaces. And I'm sure a lot of people have got one of these things and don't actually realize what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the legend of like a pirate's treasure of huge treasure chests with thousands of coins and stuff, unfortunately, is um, just not there. <laughs> That's just not going to happen. It just does not exist. So when you hear about the the sort of the Kruger millions, it's it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, we we sort of come up now past the Battle of Bergendal, and the Bergendal Monument is really, it's quite a moving, moving little spot to stop, when it's right on the highway. It's easy, it's easy enough to get to. But just past there, you now got the little town of Belfast. And the name obviously is named after Belfast in Ireland. That area was a the, rec- the receiving spot of an awful lot of immigrants and particularly Irish immigrants, hence the name Belfast. Yeah. But there's a very interesting little graveyard just outside of town. And again, you know, you've got to have a serious, serious car to get to this thing because it's kind of neglected. You've got to turn if you go into town from the N4, you've got to turn left and you go down a couple of couple of blocks and you eventually come come past some houses. And then it's down a little dirt road that's very badly corrugated and rutted and, and washed away. And then suddenly you've got this little Boer War Cemetery on the left-hand side. And there's one very interesting grave there. It's the last resting place of a guy named Private John Barry. Now, John Barry was one of the very, very few recipients of the Victoria Cross during the Second Anglo-Boer War that is now still buried um, in South Africa. He's an Irish guy, but kind of fitting that he's buried in Belfast. And he, yes. and, he, and, he, and he enlisted in the Royal Irish Regiment. So, again, it all ties up ties up very, very, nice, very nicely. But he received a Victoria Cross at a place called Monument Hill, just outside Belfast for his actions in uh, early 1901, when he was manning a machine gun post when the Boers attacked. And eventually the, the place was about to get overrun, but he stuck around long enough to actually disable the machine gun that the Boers couldn't get hold of it, but he unfortunately was killed while doing that. And for that action, he actually won the Victoria Cross. And his his VC is actually on is on display in the Imperial War Museum in London. There's a special gallery. It's called the Lord Ashcroft Gallery. And okay. his VC for his actions there in Belfast is is hanging up there. But there's another interesting little monument in 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 that cemetery, and it's a memorial to a lady by the name of Edith Cavell. Now, we all we all know, um, you know, the Anglo Boer War, the concentration camps, and Edith Cavell also came out. In, in South Africa, and she was famous because she treated soldiers from both sides, but she was the daughter of an Anglican vicar. Eventually, she becomes a nurse, but she was executed by a German firing squad in 1915, and she, she was put to death for helping 200 Allied soldiers escape from German-occupied Belgium. Geez. and her court-martial and execution obviously created a lot of outrage worldwide, and then eventually encouraged the citizens of Belfast to erect a memorial to her in this in this little town. And just an interesting one in that you you don't normally see that kind of thing in South Africa and yes. just an, an, another aside is that her memorial in paris in france was um, actually destroyed by hitler during the second world war when he con- when he when he when he conquered when he conquered france oh yeah uh, that's a kind of a, a weird memorial to, find, to suddenly see there in in belfast but it, it kind of fits as well because Belfast, again, was one of the sites of the concentration camp. There was a concentration camp in Belfast. And there's a memorial there to the poor women and children who died there. But the biggest contrast for me when I, when I went in there is that the British side of the cemetery is perfectly looked after. The Commonwealth War Graves Commission does an yes. unbelievable job in South Africa. When they look after these places, there's money there and they appoint someone in the town and the, the guy that gets gets cleaned and it gets raked and it gets polished and it gets completely sorted out. But at the end of the British side is the South African side and that's all overgrown and starting to fall apart. And you just look at that and you go, wow, you know, we really need to set up something in South Africa yeah. to look after our Boer War graves. Yes. And especially those concentration camps and stuff, because that is just such a. Such an unbelievable part of our history that that, 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 that yeah, that, that that just sits it sits sits in our psyche. Yeah. But uh Belfast again is one of one of the spots in South Africa. And how many times have we found one of these? An Afrikaans language monument. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> myself, myself tall, and Emil, who is the historian behind most of these spots on the app. I think we've counted 13 that we have right now. We've discovered 13 language monuments, I think in total dotted around South Africa. And one of them just happens to there sit um, in Belfast. There's mm-hmm. Another there's a little centenary monument celebrated the centenary of the, of the little town. And, uh, there's also a Land Festival monument. Now, the Land Festival the is land not something that too many people know about. There was a Land Festival in 1968, and that was organised at the time by a chap by the name of Jim Fosher. Remember Jim Fosher? Yes, yes. He eventually became prime minister. I think it was. He at that stage he was minister. He was the minister um, of agriculture, and it was a festival basically to commemorate how much farming means to the community how much it means to south africa etc you know that they that commissioned some some works by some authors to publish some books etc cetera, etc cetera. and there was actually a, yes. a, it was called fees van die grond or land festival in uh, yeah, yeah. 1968 i don't think it made a huge impact i certainly don't remember too much about the land festival i must admit but yeah uh, <laughs> I wasn't even a twinkle in my mother's eyes. Ah, okay. Well, that's probably why I don't remember <laughs> much about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, then as, as you're coming out there, when I mean, you've got Belfast, then you're coming around through Middleburg, again, Middleburg, another concentration camp in, in Middleburg. Then you come around through Belmoral, Belmoral another concentration camp in Belmoral, you know, so, I mean, that, that part of the of the country was quite seriously hard hard fought over. And then as you're now heading into Pretoria, you just you just short of Pretoria. But what is quite interesting now is that for the first time, I think in, in probably a lot of our chats, we're actually hitting the first Anglo-Boer War. Yes. We haven't spoken much about the first Anglo-Boer War. And just outside the little town of Bronco in on the twentieth of December, twentieth of December eighteen eighty, the Battle of sprite happened. Now that was the first battle of the First Anglo-Boer War. Yes. And what happened was that the the ninety fourth regiment was sent out from Leidenburg under the command of Lieutenant Colonel I mean very very British name, Lieutenant Colonel <laughs> Ansrada of the ninety fourth was sent from Leidenberg to go and help secure Pretoria. Because Leidenberg at that stage had also been one of the capitals and was also like one of these focal points um, of nationalism, Pretoria being another one. And he was sent out to go and help secure Pretoria. He was met at break by the first commando. And the commander basically said to him, listen, buddy, you're not, you're not coming past this spot. And please turn around and go home because the Boers are now in charge of Pretoria. And Anstruther said, "My orders are to go to Pretoria, and to Pretoria I shall go." And um, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't make it. So oh. the, the Battle of Bronco Sprite was fought right next to the highway, and there's 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 a, there's, a, there's a nice little memorial just off just on the side of the highway that you can go and see there, and a couple of a couple of the graves are there, and it's actually very nicely very nicely looked after, and you can see Anthrather's gravestone. Actually, right there where he died. Yes. So that was the first Anglo Boer War, and I mean, there's not much of the Anglo Boer War. We've just reorganized the whole of the categories on our on our app, and the, the first Anglo Boer War is actually compared to the second Anglo Boer War is like a very very small little event on the on the whole thing. There's not too many spots, but this is one of the spots of the first Anglo Boer War, yeah. which which, which so makes, it, 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 makes it kind of interesting. He was buried where he died. He basically was on buried the tris- on the battlefield there of the Battle of yeah. Bronchorsprate. Okay. For me, one of, the, one of the nice, one of the more interesting spots um, as you go for sprite and I mean, an awful lot of people travel that highway up and down from Pretoria to Vittbank and Middleburg, and then is, the, is the big temple that you see there in sprite Now, the name of it is the Fo Guang Shan Nanhua Temple. It's a Buddhist okay. temple, and the, the 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 translation of that name means Buddha's Mountain of Light. It's the largest Buddhist temple in Africa. It's it's worth visiting. It really is worth visiting. You can walk inside there. There's a beautiful museum of. Um, Chinese culture and art. There's some of the most amazing jade carvings, ivory carvings. There's paper cutting stuff in there. There's, it's an unbelie- there's an unbelievable little museum inside there. But the temple is also used as a training facility for Buddhist monks. You can go there for weekend retreats or okay. bit of peace and quiet. And it really is an amazing spot. When you walk in there, it's like a whole aura of peace hits you. It's amazing. Yes, you can walk into the main temple and there's this huge statue of Buddha there, and you can sit quietly in this in the statue or in the, in this in the in the actual temple and it's just such a beautiful, peaceful little spot you can have a lunch there you're welcome to go into the main dining room and have lunch with the novice novice monks they don't talk to you they're not allowed to. But yes. It's a really, really interesting little spot to go to, and it's literally like forty, fifty kilometers outside of Pretoria on the N4. Yes, so it's really a beautiful, worthwhile little spot to go and visit. And a lot of people don't know it, or they see it, and they, you know, And I've heard it's a Chinese temple, and it's this, and it's that. It's a Buddhist temple, and okay. it's just the, the the architecture and stuff is it's just absolutely amazing. And it's just really is. Worth a stop. Yeah, no, I didn't no. know about that one. Yeah, no, it's really worthwhile. And it's literally 40 mm. minutes outside of Pretoria. Not even. And as a little day trip out of Pretoria, you've also got just up the road, you've got the Villain Pretorius um, Agricultural Museum just outside of Rayton. Oh, yes. And it's basically an old-fashioned functioning farm. It's a It's a, it's a farm museum. So it's, the, it's yes. a historic house of William Princeley. There's old vintage automobiles and farm, farm cars and vehicles. There's a little museum showing old historical farm implements and stuff like that. And uh, again, it's a bit, kind of a nice little interactive spot that you can go to. Very nice to visit with the kids. And that's also just just down the road. It's literally twenty kilometers away from from the temple. Yes. But then, as if you're now travelling towards Pretoria, you've got one of the major battles just up on the left- hand side of the spot called Diamond Hill. Diamond Hill was also that was one of the first battles um, fought after the British had occupied Pretoria. and there's now obviously rearguard actions trying to protect Kruger and the and the, and the government as they're moving down the railway line into into the eastern eastern Transvaal area. But what's quite interesting there, and we haven't hit too many of these at, at Diamond Hill. Diamond Hill also is also called the Battle of Donkerhook. Okay. And it was fought the 12th and 13th of June, 1900. And Diamond Hill is one of those spots that I know of that every single year there's a commemoration service at dawn. And that's because the Australians were involved at that battle. And quite a few Australians right, yes. fell fighting the Boers, and you can still see some of the old fortifications there, you can, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those little emotive spots, it's this little copy, and there's little, these little sconces that the Boers, that the Boers, Boers built, and, there's a couple of little, little visits. There's a little cemetery there. There's, you know, a couple of little memorials, an Australian memorial. Now, that, that's something that you don't often see in South Africa. And the interesting, the, one of the interesting things about the Australian forces in South Africa at the Anglo Boer War is, what is it was the first time, first time that they had fought under their own badge. Oh, they, fought, they fought okay. as Australians and not as colonial troops. So this, the the Anglo Boer War for the Australians is a is a is a major major event uh, in their military history because yeah. it was the first time they fought under their own command and under their own badge and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So the the Australian commissioner comes out or high commissioner comes out every year on the anniversary of the battle etc. and Diamond Hill is an interesting one, because I think sort of for the first time, almost the British realized that although they'd occupied Pretoria, they thought, okay, we've taken the capital, resistance is going to crumble, it's the end of the war. And we're now talking June 1900. And for the first time now, they actually hit some serious resistance again. It was only a week after they'd taken over Pretoria. They were happily marching down the road thinking, yeah, you know, the war's ended. But, suddenly yes. I mean, he had a major resistance again, and Roberts, at that, who was at that stage still still the, the officer in command of the British forces, then suddenly realized, hang on, he's still got a fight in his hand. The Boers are not going to just surrender because the government has fled, Pretoria has fallen. The British automatically thought, oh, well, all resistance is going to crumble, but that that just wasn't. Um, quite the case, and Robert severely underestimated the Boer resolve to continue the yes. war, it literally continue for another two years. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But just on the road, there, if you're going up towards Diamond Hill. There's another very interesting little spot called Kleinfontein. Now, Clainfontaine uh, is again one of these spots that, that almost no one knows about. And there's a couple of very interesting little, little spots there. There's a, maybe to, the, to these days a little bit controversial, there's a a statue or a bust of Hendrik Verwoerd. there's another bust of President Paul Kruger. And those two people are iconic in South African history, maybe for different reasons. But... You know, Hendrik Verwoerd, although he is regarded as the father of apartheid, um, actually a very, very intelligent and very, very learned guy. I mean, I don't, not many people know. I mean, he was born in the Netherlands. So he wasn't actually a born South African. Yes. He was born in the Netherlands in 1901. He was prime minister of South Africa from 1959 to 1966. But he was actually a professor. He was a professor of social work and a professor of psychology. Okay. And not many people know that. But he was eventually assassinated in September 1966 in Parliament in Cape Town. And um, he's buried at the Pretoria Church Street Cemetery along with oh, So yes. The Pretoria Cemetery is, is, again, it's a fascinating spot. So many of our characters yeah. are, and interesting personages are, are buried there. And then, yes. of course, you've got the, 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 the bust of Paul Kruger. I mean, Paul Kruger, again, one of those iconic, towering figures of South African history and obviously known as the state president who took on the might of the British Empire in the yes. anglo War and the Second Anglo-Boer War. But uh, just, I mean, if you go, a little, little quick CV of, of Paul Kruger. I mean, he was born, born in October 1825 down in the Cape. and at the age of 10 years old, his parents decided to, gro- to join the Great Trek. So he was a foot trekker. He was one of the original foot trekkers yes. that basically walked out of the Cape up um, into the Transvaal. He was at the Battle of Fechkop when the foot trekkers under Andries Potchita were attacked by the Makmatabilis under Mitsulikatsi. So he's at Fechkop. He settled yes. with his parents around Rustenburg. Um, his farm, Bougainot Fontaine, you can actually still go, go visit in Rustenburg, if you really want to. He made his name by joining several commandos as the Boer republics were sort of settling down and forming their borders and trying to sort of consolidate what they were doing. And he was actually at the siege, what was called the siege of Makapansgat, Makapansgat in 1854. And Makapan was one of those guys that refused to bow and submit to the footwreckers. It's obviously conflict. And at that siege, and pick Potgiter. He was in charge of the commando there. Very foolishly stuck his head out and tried to, I think, go into the cave. That's what is called. hut is a cave system. And he was yes. killed. He was killed at the entrance to this cave. And Paul Kruger made his name for himself because he actually went into... Into that cave to go and retrieve the body of the commandant and carried carried Podhita back out, yes, and that obviously raised his status and that's kind of kind of almost brought him um, to to prominence and I mean there's an interesting story and we'll we'll i think we um we'll touch on that in another podcast It's actually quite a funny story there was a there was a Boer civil war. It was a mini war. One guy died. Um, it was more of a sort of kind of bar fight than a civil war, if you want to call it that. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> it was between between a guy that was Stefano Scumen and a guy that was, and President Mw Pretorius, but Kruger actually showed his negotiating skills to actually defuse that entire story. And I mean, it could have become it could have actually become literally a Boer civil war. Yes, but. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, but there's a there's a statue of, of Paul Krug, and it's, I think it's kind of kind of fitting that it's on that road, basically when he had to flee. But uh, you know he was he was also part of the leadership group during the 1880 1881 first Anglo Boer War. He then makes it up to up to president. He was president during the second Anglo Boer War of 1899 to 1902. If you want to level some criticism at him, he was the war was probably caused a lot by his handling of the British immigrants and about the labor forces in Johannesburg and his handling of some of the economy and stuff in yes. at the time. But I mean that's that's literally if you really had to nitpick and and try and try and criticize him. And eventually, I mean, he made it. He made it down to Lorenzo Marx and got onto the, the Dutch ship called the Gelderland that was sent out by the Dutch Queen, went to Europe. He was hosted everywhere. Everyone thought he was a hero. No one wanted to help him or put money in or give troops to help fight Great Britain. And eventually he died yeah. in exile in 1904 in Clarence in Switzerland. He, his body was brought back to Pretoria. And uh, just an interesting one is that he was buried in Pretoria on the 16th of December. Interesting day to choose. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is. <laughs> yes, an interesting day to choose for that one. And uh, interestingly enough, the British actually allowed the hoisting of the old Transvaal flag. Oh, that is funeral. So that's kind of interesting because at that stage, obviously, the the Fiedklier was no longer the national flag. Yes. But the most interesting little spot there at this little little place here called Clainfontaine is what we call the Covenant Monument. There's a little spot there that's called oh. Monument Park, and there's a little thing there called the Covenant Monument. Now we've we've chatted once about the Covenant at the Battle of Blood River. Yes, where the foot trackers, after the murder of Petra Retief. Swore vengeance on the Zulus and uh, Sarosel, yeah, had this covenant, and for like seven or nine days before the Battle of Blood River, every night they had this covenant with God, where should they get the the victory over the Zulus, it would be a sign from God that they were God's people and God's chosen race, and that they yes. were chosen to um, be the leaders in South Africa, etc., etc., etc. And of course, that happened. So 16th of December, and that's why we brought up Paul Kruger on this one. 1838 was the Battle of Blood River, and that was covenant. But there's actually three covenants in our Africana history, and I bet you you didn't even know that. Uh, no, I and not think very, so. <laughs> Not very many people know that there were actually three covenants sworn, not just the one at the Battle of Blood River. Yes. And The very, very first one, and maybe this is why he gets into so much trouble, was actually made by Jan van Riebeek. Ah. <laughs> 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 it's weird Jan's guilt. It's weird Jan's guilt. Now, oh, my Lord. van Riebeek van arrives in 1652 on the 6th of June. He lands in Table Bay. and Two years later, 1654, he also swears a covenant that the 6th of June will also be held forever as a day of prayer and thanks and praise. The 6th of June? June. That was the day he landed. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And that one generally has has, has kind of of, um, been forgotten. Yeah. Then and it we've was the, the first one. Before. Yeah. Then we've obviously got the 1838 covenant or the blood river covenant. But then there's another one that was made in December, 1880. I don't know, I don't know okay. if you know this one in what is present day Krugersdorp. And you can okay. still you can still visit the monument there at, at a place called Pardebach, okay. and that was that was again that the Transvaal, the Boers took an oath to defend against the British in 1880. Yeah. And interestingly enough, the Boers in the First Anglo-Boer War were victorious over Great Britain. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. And you can still visit the Paderberg Monument, and it's a great big pile of stones in the middle of Krugersdorf There, it's an interesting little spot. You've got to organise um, to get in there. <laughs> but uh, it, to, to me, there's just an interesting one that there's actually three, and two of yeah, them before battles resulted in victory. Yeah, that that is <laughs> so interesting. I just, throw, <laughs> I just, I just throw that out there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I think awesome. look, I think we've we've covered we've covered about half half the N4. We're just about to get into Pretoria, and okay. I'm gonna leave with I'm gonna leave with one little interesting little aside on the N4 that the N4 is not a continuous highway because you can come into Pretoria on the N4, you can go through Pretoria on the N4, you can go out the other side of Pretoria on the N4. Um, yeah, sort of down past Attridgeville, yes, and then to the north of you is another part of the N4, but it's not linked to this piece of the N4. Yes, if you come that in, is yeah, weird. if you come in on the N4 at the National Botanical Gardens, you swing a, a right on the N1, yeah, and you go up past Montana and then you. Get to that main intersection, and then you swing a left on the on the next M4, and that's the other yeah. part of the M4. So there's actually like a little parallel piece of the M4 that runs through Pretoria. So it kind of kind of illogical. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> we can that's, actually that's, see that's the toll right. gate from here. Yeah. So that's, uh, a, that's, dwell- a, it's very one. strange. Most of the highways are continuous, or they stop at a junction and say, "Okay, and that's it." That's it. <laughs> But I think yes. what we can do in our next podcast is we let's continue with the info. There's a couple of really fascinating spots as you now head out sort of down, down through Brits, Moynoy, Rustenburg, and there's a Boer War stuff out that part of the world and we head out to the Groot Mariko and hit the border with yes. Botswana. Yeah, I like Groot Mariko. Yeah, no, Groot Mariko, <laughs> the, the, the land of Mampur. Yep. <laughs> and Wimskalk. And Oomskalk. Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. hope you're listening. Uh, tune in to the next one and we'll try and do this next one within the next day or two and continue on our journey on the N four. Awesome Didrik. Like of here signing up.